Hey, deserving listeners, it's just me today. I thought I would respond to some patron emails. But before we do that, let's announce the podcast. This is the podcast called Psychology in Seattle. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am a therapist and a professor. Okay, this email is from an anonymous patron. And she wrote to me about how she took action against abuse and harassment in the workplace. She worked for a federal congresswoman, a Democrat. Uh, she didn't want me to use any names. She, she doesn't mind me talking. She wants me to talk about it, but she doesn't want the accused to happen across this podcast. There, there's been many articles written about this story, So, if and she doesn't mind you know, people looking it up. So all you have to do is Google about some of the details about this, and you'll find you'll find this story. But I'm leaving out I'm leaving out the names. But let it be known that the patron worked for a federal congresswoman, Democrat, and um, yeah. So uh, and this congresswoman was a champion of the Me Too movement. So just keep that in mind as well. So the patron was working for the congresswoman and and started to date a man who was also working for the congresswoman. And he eventually became the chief of staff for the congresswoman. So he was a pretty important person. So this patron was dating the chief of staff. And um, from what I gather, so just from the onset of this, it's kind of hard to figure out all the details. Plus, I don't really know how Congress people's um, organizations work. So I might get some of the details wrong. But um, but anyway, so from what I understand, the patron who wrote in to the podcast, she worked for this man and they started to date and they both worked for this congresswoman. And they ended up breaking up, and he started to harass her. And remember, he's he's her boss, essentially. And he left her he, – he did all sorts of horrible things to her in person and also over the phone. And according to reports, he left 50-some-odd voicemails where he was harassing her and threatening her. For example, one recording said the quote – you better fucking reply to me or I will fucking kill you. <laughs> so we're not talking like mild abuse. It's like you better fucking reply to me or I will fucking kill you. Apparently he was threatening to kill her many times. And the patron had these recorded voicemails. And he also had threatened to ruin her career if she told anyone about it. And she, you know, she was terrified. She was young. She, uh, from pictures, she looks Asian American. Uh, he's a, a big, bigger white guy. And so he's threatening her. He's um, scaring her. He's threatening to ruin her career. He legitimately can ruin her career because he's, you know, he's higher up, he's older, and she's just starting out. And the patron went to the congresswoman, went to his boss and said, you know, this this is happening, and I, I just feel like it, it needs to be known that your chief of staff is doing this kind of stuff. But it took the congresswoman three months to do anything about it. Just imagine that. Just imagine that that, that happens, you know, just imagine you're the boss, right? Someone comes forward with voicemails, right? It's not like just, you know, allegations, but, you know, let me, 
let me, you know, have you listen to this voicemail in which your chief of staff is threatening to kill me because he, you know, I pr- presumably he was harassing her because he wanted to date her, I guess. It's just like so gross. And, um, and then you just, okay, maybe 24 hours you do, you know, maybe you fire him after 24 hours, but imagine like not just 24 hours, 48 hours passes. This is hanging over your head. A week goes by. Another week goes by. A month goes by. Another month and a half, a month, you know, two months go by. Three months go by before you do anything about it. Uh, You know, that's pretty absurd. So, and she didn't really do much. She, She fired him from what I gather, but she paid him a severance pay, which is interesting. And she wrote him a positive letter of reference. Positive letter of reference. How do you write someone who's threatening to kill women, younger women on your staff? How do you give him a positive letter of reference? I mean, a a reference like, you know, he was a great chief of staff, but, you know, you should know he threatens to kill other employees. I, I would imagine that that would be, you know, something of interest to future employers. By the way... If you hire this guy, he might start to threaten to kill people who work underneath him. You know, so the congresswoman obviously, you know, royally screwed this up. And then sometime later, the patron told the press about the whole thing. She came forward and actually, I think she went to the Washington Post. And the story blew up, naturally, right? Because the Me Too movement had, you know, was in full swing 2018, and the congresswoman, uh, you know, it's like this this big story, right? Me Too congresswoman is unsupportive of abuse victim in her own staff, you know. Me Too congresswoman, chief of staff, uh, you know, harass, harasses younger female staff person without any action taken for three months. You know, it's just, it was very sensational, and the congresswoman was scandalized and decided to resign. So the congresswoman has resigned, uh, has a bit more time left in her time in office, but um, she, she will be uh, resigning soon. She provided a statement after the scandal was made public. She said, too many women have been harmed by harassment in the workplace. In the terrible situation in my office, I could have and should have done better. To the survivor, I want to express my strongest apology for letting you down. In Congress and workplaces around the country, we need stronger workplace protections and to provide employees with a platform to raise concerns, address problems, and work to reduce and eliminate such occurrences in the first place. In my final months of Congress, I will use my power to fight for action and meaningful change. Uh, The fella also released his own statement. He said, I have previously apologized to, and then he lists all the names of people he's apologized to. I do not expect forgiveness from anyone. I can only hope that my, I can only hope that my actions moving forward and over a lifetime of recovery can prove that I am a better man than I was during this time when I worked on Capitol Hill. So, so again, I just want to read this apology again. I have previously apologized to everyone. I do not expect forgiveness from anyone. And I can only hope that my actions moving forward and over a lifetime of recovery can prove that I am a better man than I was during the time in which I committed these crimes. 
And I just find that these, you know, these are very common boilerplate apologies. And I, I just, it's always a wonder why they're, they're never satisfying. Like it, it's a wonder how, I mean, I'm sure there's been apologies that have been said over the past year. There's been so many that have been satisfying, but I certainly haven't heard them. I mean, cause to me, it's like, eh, the, the, you know, the, these sort of apologies from these men are often things like, I'm really sorry. I did those things. It was all my fault. And uh, I'm, I'm working on, you know, changing my behavior or they don't even say, they don't even go that far. You know, it's like, I can only hope that my actions moving forward will prove that I'm a better man, a better man. It's like, Hmm. I I just, to me, I, I was trying to think like, well, what sort of apology or statement would I hear that would make me feel better or make me more confident or something, or I don't know, just make me feel like this person is really understanding of what what's wrong, you know, because to me, uh, like a statement, an example of that would be like, I have entered domestic violence treatment and I will be involved in that treatment program for the next couple of years. Like if I heard that, I'd be like, OK, you are addressing this problem or a statement like, you know what? I was abused as a child and I've been struggling with alcoholism and my own hostile impulses since I was a, you know, a teenager and I'm entering rigorous therapy, you know, three times a week with two different professionals to try to recover from this past abuse so that I don't act out my anger and PTSD on other people. Like if I heard something like that, I'd be like, okay, but just like, you know, because obviously there's something going on there, right? If, if you're, if you're 50 voicemails threatening to kill someone because they're, you know, they're not returning your phone calls. I'm assuming again, it's, it's unclear in the stories. I'm assuming he wanted to date her again or something. Either way, it's like something you're, you're deeply suffering, you know? Uh, and this is just probably the tip of the iceberg. I mean, God knows who else this person had been abusing and God knows, God knows who else hasn't come forward about what sort of shenanigans he's been involved in. And so it just seems to me that um, some kind of statement like there's something wrong with me and I am entering intensive care to figure out, you know, what went wrong with my personality so that I don't do this ever again. If I heard something like that, I think it would make me feel like, oh, okay, this person understands the situation is taking it seriously. And, you know, there's a chance that with enough work, they might not ever do this again. But when I hear this statement from him, you know, uh, I can only I can only hope that my actions moving forward will, will prove that I'm a, I'm a better man than I was back then. It's like, one, it wasn't that long ago. It was a couple years ago. What's the chance that you're that different? And two, like um, your actions moving forward, like unless you change something deeply about your uh, personality, you know, things aren't going to change. But uh, my, my son, <laughs> my son. Uh, that was a weird thing. Okay. So then the patron wrote me the, the following statement. She said, so she has a question for me. As you can imagine, the entire process and aftermath of coming forward to the press was all at once petrifying, surreal, re-traumatizing, and liberating. I'm glad I did it, and I don't regret it. All of that said, I found that after coming forward, I have become even more sensitive and upset when I see stories like mine in the news. 
I'm wondering if you have any advice or tips for people to cope with these types of things. I'm particularly struggling with fighting the sense of responsibility. I feel like I have to educate, convince, and enlighten when I intellectually know that it is not my job and is also not great for my mental health. I've done a number of press interviews, on-camera interviews with, with the news, and I've you know been on panels, but but there's more I could be doing, and I'm struggling now with how someone like myself can vacate this sense of responsibility. I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so my response to you, patron, is that this is a tough situation. I, I've worked with a number of people with regards to this. Um, in some ways, I'm kind of in this category as well. Um, you know, I, I, the more the more enlightened you are, the more aware you are, the more woke you are the more you just see this daily occurrence of just ridiculousness and, and the, and, you know, little things to big things and the harm. And, you know, it's just so awful, you know, the, from just blatant things like war, you know, just, you know, killing genocide and then racism and sexism and ableism and, you know, body shaming and uh, advertisements that uh, show things that are horrible for people to see and marketing to children and drug abuse and, and attitudes about drug abuse, you know, oh, they're just junkies, you know, or uh, hatred against Christians and Christians hating atheists and, you know, hatred against Muslims. And you know, it's just, it's, it's just so stupid. <laughs> it's so wrongheaded, all of it. And yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I get that it's, it's so in some ways I'm like this, but in other ways, I'm really not, I, I have people who are close to me who are much more similar to you and that they have been harassed or sexually abused and there's something weirdly isolating about being a victim of this, even though it's so common. Um, that the thing that I've witnessed with, you know, people close to me is that they are almost like lightning rods for these kinds of stories. It's like after you become victimized by harassment, abuse, um, you know, rape, there's this weird thing. It's I, the, the thing I, I, I sort of attribute it to is, like if if you if you buy a red Honda Civic for example suddenly you see every single other red Honda Civic on the road where previously to buying the red Honda Civic you never noticed any red Honda Civic ever in your life but but now that you have one you you see them everywhere because your 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 mind is attuned to paying attention to such things well after being victimized i think your mind is obviously attuned to similar stories or, you know, uh, just noticing this, this thing and, and all of the ancillary associations in the news, um, in comedy, for example, in stories, in movies, in the way people talk. And, and suddenly it, you, just, you just see this society of, uh, of abuse to victims and of rape culture and of toxic masculinity and, and of uh, sexism and and keeping victims down and and not letting people come forward and um, and it should be said that this this applies to men and women and and trans people in terms of uh, anyone and everyone is a victim of harassment abuse and rape and so this isn't a man women thing at all by by any means it it it's uh you know we live in a patriarchal society so. So we can't, you know, deny that gender is a part of this. But anyway, my point is, is that after victimization, in my experience, 
people sometimes become super enlightened and super sensitive and like a lightning rod for all things related to victims in, in the news or people around them. And then this thing happens, especially if you're a strong enough, well, that's a wrong word, especially if you feel like it's your job to do something about it. If you feel like you want to advocate, you know, the patron who wrote in, she stepped forward. I mean, just imagine that like the, the news and the Twitter sphere and the, you know, the online horribleness that must have happened to her for coming forward. You know, people are not nice to victims, particularly women of, of these kinds of things. And, and I also wonder, you know, her being what looks to be Asian American, I wonder, you know, what kind of racism she might have experienced as well. And, you know, worries about your career, you know, the next man who hires her or, you know, the next job she interviews for, you know, is if if it's a man who has some problems with sexual harassment, is he going to be less likely to hire her because he's worried that she's going to, you know, be looking for things and complain about him. And so, you know, these are these are real things that, you know, victims before coming forward have to consider. And so. So she, you know, she took it upon herself to step forward. And, and other people around me who have been in that situation have had similar kinds of, of um, uh, I don't know, a sense of responsibility. And so when they are a lightning rod for these stories, this responsibility kicks in of just like, God, I got to do something. And then this re-traumatization around like one um, so, so in my experience, what happens to people in the situation is they're a lightning rod. Uh, they feel a sense of responsibility, but then they also are traumatized by remembering all the things that happened to them, which is natural. But they're also re-traumatized by the fact that society doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. I mean, here we had a Me Too movement congresswoman, the, the one person on the planet who should be doing something about it has the power to do something about it and did almost nothing about it. Just think about that for a second. A woman who works, you know, who is a congresswoman in the United States federal government, she knows that all eyes are on her. She's a Democrat. She's a champion of, you know, it's, she's the first person to step forward and say, you know, the Me Too movement is important and victims' rights and this has got to stop. And yet she didn't do anything about it. So if that's at the extreme, if that's the if, if that is the, you know, a strong, powerful ally and they do little, you know, that the spectrum uh, only descends from there. Right. And so. So there's this re-traumatization upon the lightning rod thing that happens to the victims where they're just like, oh, yeah, and I'm, you know, woefully reminded that society does shit about this and how it almost seems like there, there's this feeling that I've seen victims go through where they're just like, society doesn't care. I, I'm not safe. If, if, if this so, and that's another phenomenon I've seen that happen is that victims will feel like, it's happening again to someone else. Therefore, it could happen to me again, and I am not safe. We are not safe. I am not safe. It, there are uh, perpetrators out there, and society isn't going to help me. The law is not going to help me. The uh, women in the Me Too movement are not going to help me. You know, that's the feeling, right? And it's this you know, but at the same time, responsibility, got to do something because 
I'm an enlightened victim and I, and I have power and I've, and I've utilized that power and I've got to do something. But of course, it's like, well, what can you do as an individual? How much can you accomplish? I mean, some people can, but you know, it's, it's a lot. Plus these stories are happening on a, you know, daily basis to, for, for some people, particularly therapists, by the way, because, you know, they talk with clients all the time. And so it's just this onslaught of lightning rod, re-traumatization, you know, intense responsibility, reminders of the abuse, reminders of society doing nothing, examples of society doing nothing, examples of society protecting the perpetrator and shaming the victim. It's just this, and and then like, uh, and then when, and then that leads to sometimes responsible action by the victim to advocate, to educate, to reach out. And then there's this, backlash against that you know to when they when they're coming forward a second time to advocate for someone else or to advocate for social change and they get pushback or even just super toxic hostile you know um uh, anti me too movement people in the in the media or you know online and for for those of you who live in a bump bubble the way that i do most of the time let me tell you a little story about the real world <laughs> which is that from my estimation, the majority of Americans are not on board with the Me Too movement, which just boggles me. <laughs> I mean, the Me Too movement at its core is just like, hey, I have been a victim of abuse too. And I too uh, was almost forced to be silent about it because of the power structure that I was under. I have been harmed and I too could not come forward and protect myself or report it because for fear of retribution from the perpetrator and from society. So that's all that it is. And who, how would anyone be against that? It, it's the same thing of just like Black Lives Matter. It's like Black Lives Matter. <laughs> it's in the title, right? It's like, and so how could you be against Black Lives Matter or feminism? How, how are you against feminism, right? How are you against the notion that, that, women shouldn't be oppressed and shouldn't be treated unfairly. Like, how is that, how is that strange to people? Everyone should be a feminist. And yet very few people identify as feminists. Very few people have a positive association. I, you know, I, I can't, I don't remember the late, late, the last, you know, polls, but so I thought everyone would be I thought everyone would be a feminist, and then I bumped up against the internet and realized, no. I thought everyone would be for the Me Too movement, because it's just obvious, right? It's just a moral position. I mean, unless you're like a serial rapist or something, or a Harvey Weinstein, it's like who was a serial rapist, by the way, then why would you not support the Me Too movement? But I was at this um, event, which I won't go into detail, because I don't want to uh, out individuals. I don't know why I don't want to out them, but... I don't want to right now is I was at this event with all men, by the way, and there, I, I didn't know most of the guys and the guys were having a few drinks and they started getting kind of loose with the tongue and they, they started just completely ripping apart the me too movement. And I'm sitting there listening to this. And at first I was like, I surely this must be like a, ironic joke, right? They, they must be just being funny. You know, they, they couldn't possibly be against the Me Too movement. I mean, why would you, 
you know, why would you be against victims' rights? <laughs> like, why would you be against victims of crimes uh, getting justice? Like, how, how does that, you know, like, man, what? But, you know, our society is so against women that something like that has a lot of hostility against it. It's like, how dare women come forward and say something? How dare the society, you know, even think to acknowledge women's rights and, and that, uh, that men in general have a problem with harassment in the workplace. Like, how dare you, you know, women, you know, barefoot in the kitchen, like know your place. It just, I mean, they weren't saying that, but that's basically the attitude they had. And I'm just looking at them like, you know, it was all happening so fast. And I just, it, and I was reeling and you know, I didn't know what to say. And, and I, and a little, you know, five minutes later, I'm sort of thinking back to what they were saying. I'm like, so in my head, I, in my head, I just kept that it's sort of a dumb thought, but in my head, all I could think was, don't you have a mother? <laughs> like, don't you have a mother who, who you care and love? Don't care. You know, you care about your mother, right? You love your mother. Do you want her to shut up if she's been harassed and abused and harmed? by someone at work who, who she works under. If, if your mom had a male boss who was sexually harassing her and grabbing her in places, do you want her to shut up about that? I just, that's the, you know, it's sort of a dumb thought. Cause really, even if someone doesn't have a mother, it's like, you should, you should just, I, I always hate that when like people on TV will be like, I have a mother, I have a daughter, I have a wife. And I, too, stand for, you know, it's just like, just because you have a wife doesn't, that doesn't, you know, by implication, it's like, I have no sister. I've never known my mother. And I'm gay. I'm a gay male. Therefore, I have no identification with females who get harmed. You know, it's just, it's a really, I don't know. Anyway, so my point is, is that the world is not sympathetic and towards Me Too people towards victims that we are still struggling with that. Now there are bubbles of progressiveness. Uh, I live in one of those bubbles. And so, uh, so yeah, anyway, so, so there's that lightning rod experience that, that I've seen happen. And, and this patron is talking about that. So patron, you're asking me some questions about what to do, but let's take a break. All right, we're back from the break. If you haven't become a patron of the podcast yet, do so now. Go to patreon.com, become a patron of the podcast. We have almost reached our next goal, so you might be the one who finally tips us over the edge. Also, if you're having trouble with the premium feed, make sure you email me at contact at psychologyinseattle.com. So if you need a IT issue, I'm, I'm not only the podcaster, but I'm also the IT manager of this podcast. Email me at contact at psychologyinseattle.com. Also, buy my book, which is called Multi-Role Clinical S Supervision. Also, join the Facebook fan group for some fan interaction. And also, uh, like us on Facebook, the, the podcast, because then you can participate in our Tuesday Tougher Bluff Games. It's a fun game that we play every Tuesday in which I post a interesting research finding and 
try to bluff you or um, it's a basically a true or false question. All right. So let's get to my advice to you, patron, you know. So so what do we do about this? Well, to you particularly, patron, and this is a, advice, so to speak, that I've given to other people in your situation is take a break if you have to. There, There's only so much one person can do. If you feel like you've been overwhelmed with the responsibility, because it sounds like that's what you're saying. It's just like, you know, I, I, let me just go back over your question again. Um, I'm, I, you know, all that said, I found that after coming forward, I have become even more sensitive and upset when I see stories like mine in the news. I'm wondering if you have any advice or tips for people to cope with these types of things. I'm particularly struggling with the sense of responsibility. I feel like I have to educate, convince, and enlighten when I intellectually know that it is not my job and is also not great for my mental health. Yeah, so the short answer to that is to to perhaps uh, take a break from this. But, you know, that's a funny thing to say. It's It's a very trite, easy thing to say, to just be like, well, you know, don't worry about it. You know, take a break from it. Because, you know, if we all just took a break from these kinds of things, nothing, no change would occur. And victims would go on feeling like they can't, they can't come forward. And, and perpetrators will know that all they have to do is threaten you with career devastation to keep you quiet. And, and so, you know, we, we have to do something. We can't just do nothing. So, you know, life is a struggle and hopefully you have support. That's the main thing is support and therapy because one day you will recover. You know, it's probably traumatizing. Patreon, I hope you're in therapy getting trauma treatment for this because it sounds like, you know, it was quite traumatic. But with the people around me who are going through this, I just try to support them, you know, in by listening, by supporting, but also in real ways. Like I, I have a friend who was going through a lightning rod, shall we say, situation like this. And I actually... Um, uh, she she was feeling unsafe in the workplace, and it's a long story. But uh, so I just offered. I just said, "Do you want me to come with you to work?" And and I'll just be there. I'll just hang out with you at work. And you know, and if anything happens, like you know, I'll do my best to to uh, fight whoever comes after you. You know, I, I don't know how good of a fighter I am, but at least you know, at least I'll be there. You know. And she was like, really? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I'm not doing anything tomorrow that I can't switch. And so she's like, yeah. And so I just went with her to work and I, I just, you know, just hung out. Yeah, I had a bit of a funny feeling about it because it's like, you know, the great savior male comes in and saves the day. And so, you know, I, I was like, is that what's happening? But, but she said it was, you know, very helpful, not only materially to make her feel like she could, because she was, you know, experiencing PTSD symptoms and whatnot. So it was practically very helpful for her just to get through the day, but it also helped her to f- have um, faith in humans because it was, you know, it's because again, it's not just the traumatization of the abuser. It's also the lack of support from society and, and from friends. Uh, and so to have a colleague or friend just say, you know, I'm willing to go, you know, to put some effort into, you know, actually helping you. It, it's sort of like when you're, uh, you know, your spouse dies, your one of your parents dies, and your friends, you know, you, there's various different reactions to that. A lot of people will say thoughts and prayers, right, which is fine. But 
very few people will actually say, I'm coming over and I'm bringing food and we're going to hang out and watch TV. Like there's not a lot of people who actually take that leap and just say, you know, you know, cause it, there's, you, you'll get a lot of like, let me know if you need any help, you know, just, I'm a phone call away. I, you know, I'll help you, you know, and those are wonderful things to say, but a special friend is the sort of person who says, um, what do you need? You know, do you need food? Do you need, what do you want? Do you want to hang out? When? Tomorrow? Tonight? When? Now? You know, like, just like, what do you, you know, just sort of making it happen, you know, and there's a fine line between invading someone's life and actually helping them. But anyway, so, um, so yeah. Uh, so now that the bigger question, you know, to your, the bigger answer to your question is, um, there's, there's two bigger answers. So the small answer is take a break, <laughs> which is, you know, easier said than done. The bigger answer is, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I, I feel like this, there's so many things about our society that will be, you know, robust up until the time that I die that I'll just, you know, I'll be eternally frustrated with things that are, to me, are just so obvious. Um, you know, polyamory is just such an obvious option for some people. You know, it's just like, grow the fuck up, people. Like, everything's fine. You know, we don't have to live in a fairy tale land of, of, um, you know, snow white doesn't have to look like that. Um, there's lots of ways of being happy and functional and all you have to do is look at science, global warming, you know, uh, it's like, you know, the earth is round. There's just certain things where I'm just, it's mind boggling the amount of ways in which as a human species, we continue to deny evidence, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, and I'll die, you know, probably, you know, twit my eye twitching at how uh, many examples there are. And I'm sure in the next number of decades that I'm alive, that there'll be new things added. You know, if you would have told me even just uh, two years ago that there would be a flat earth movement, I would have been like, that's ridiculous like you know what like some backwoods tribe in like the jungle the you know sure they might think the the world is flat not to denigrate them but you know without education or example or something um you know certainly they're not dumb they know a lot of things about a lot of things we don't know about my point is is that no educated society would have a movement that the earth is flat that's you know that's just like you know three thousand years ago i mean kind of stuff uh, so who knows what kind of ridiculousness is, is ahead of us. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know what to do, but the, the other answer is, is that we need to change our society. The reason why, and I always say this, the reason why we have a problem is not because there are, I mean, we have a problem with producing people who feel like they can do this, but really the problem is societal because the example that I always give is, what if a male boss, what, you know, just take Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein got away with decades of serial rape to people who knew, he didn't wear a mask. You know, he didn't, he didn't put on a mask and bust into these women's, you know, these women knew it was him. They knew his name. They knew where he worked. They knew his friends. And, you know, and when they came forward, the few who did, uh, you know, uh, they were unsupported or, or, you know, shut up or something. Right. So why is that? 
right? You know, that the, the old common narrative is like, well, the women were weak or the women wanted it or something ridiculous like that. And so, so the analogy that I always say is what if Harvey Weinstein punched people or shot people with a gun? Like every, every, you know, couple weeks, I don't know. He had a lot of victims. So let's say, you know, to give him benefit of the doubt once a month, he, he, he victimized, you know, felony rape or, you know, some sort of assault or harassment on at least one person a month. Well, imagine if every month on average, he assaults someone, you know, severely or gets a gun and shoots them in the leg, doesn't kill him, but shoots him in the leg or the arm or, you know, the foot. How many, how many times do you think that would need to happen in order for victims to come forward? I'm going to say once. I'm going to say the first person that Harvey Weinstein shoots in the leg, that person's going to come forward. Why? Because they know that if they report, Harvey Weinstein shot me in the leg because he was unhappy with me, they know that society will generally support you. Or at least they'll be a lot more supportive than they would if he were to rape you. That is the litmus test to me. To me, it's if... If he shot a woman in the leg with a gun or threatened to shoot her in the leg with a gun or hit her across the head and sent her to the hospital with a, you know, with a mallet or something, she would, I would, I would give it a high likelihood that she'd report that and that people would, that people would support her. The system would support her. The police system would support her. The justice system, the, the newspapers there would be no like, oh, she's a slut or she wanted it or she asked for it or the way she was dressed probably suggested she wanted to be hit over the head with a mallet. So there's none of that talk, right? Well, that's our fault. That is our fault. That is our collective fault for creating and upholding and not trying to change a society that holds ideas that make it so that sexual assault is somehow considered the victim's fault or the victim's shame as opposed to physical assault, which is considered the shame of the perpetrator. Why is shooting, why is shooting someone in the leg when you're upset the perpetrator's fault, but being raped or sexually assaulted a victim's shame? Why should a victim be ashamed of being raped? Why should a victim be ashamed for being harassed by a boss? Why? No, we, no one, very few people, I'm guessing, I'm, you know, there are except, exceptions for sure. That it's not a clear line because certainly there are people who are uh, victims of physical abuse who feel ashamed because of societal messages for sure. But I just want, you know, to me, these are, this is, this is the problem. It's, it's society's problem, which means it's our collective problem. We have socially constructed a system that upholds ideas and behaviors and reactions that make it so that perpetrators feel like all they have to do is tell someone, you know, don't tell anyone or else I'm going to you know, ruin your career or shame you or do something, and that those people feel like they can't come forward. And, and it also creates a system where victims who now are enlightened and woke to these kinds of problems are the very few people in our society who, who know enough or 
see the light enough to be able to speak out and, and advocate for this. You know, if someone gets shot in the leg with a gun, most of society will speak up, you know, for the victim. They'll be like, no, you can't, as a boss, you can't get upset at someone and hit them across the head with a mallet. That's not okay. It, so we've all woke up to that, right? But somehow we have not woke up to the idea that, like, we don't need a Me Too movement about mallets to the head. But somehow we need a Me Too movement about being uh, sexually harassed at work by someone above you, right? So we all need to do something about this so that victims like this patron are not forced to carry all the burden. You know, if this patron, if she knew that society was doing something about it, she could say, well, I don't have to take on this one. The rest, you know, other people have this. You know, I don't, I don't have to take on this one. So we all need to raise awareness. We all need to educate ourselves. We all need to advocate for victims. We need to watch out for these kinds of things as, ha- as it's happening in, in the workplace or otherwise. We need to watch our own behavior. You know, what, what are things that we're doing that are along these lines? Or what are we doing to shame victims? Um, we also need to establish laws and protocols for this sort of thing, systems in place that actually help people like this. I mean, it, it just boggles the mind that this congresswoman didn't have a protocol, right? Like, she is a, I'm assuming a lawyer, right, because often they are, and she has a team of people working for her, and she doesn't have anything in the employee handbook about, you know, harassment. (laughs) There's nothing in there about, like, what to do, you know, because that's why it took her three months, because I think she was, like, trying to figure out what to do. And I'm just like, you know, there should be a protocol. It's like, you know, if someone eats your sandwich out of the fridge at work, there's a protocol for that, right? There should be a, you know, some kind of grievance protocol. I mean, believe me, I work at a university. I used to be a program director. We had protocols. We had like whole systems, flow charts and shit. And it's just like, it should be, you know, the, the protocol should be one, there should be an immediate action. Two, police should be involved if it's criminal, or at least if it's, you know, questionably criminal, the police should be involved. Um, the, crim- the police were involved in a situation, by the, by the way, because, you know, he threatened to kill her. There should be immediately immediate advocacy and protection to the victim. That's the important thing is the victim needs to be uh, assisted in whatever way that they need to be. They're also, if you're a public organization, like, you know, working for the federal government, you're a public servant, you're being paid for by, you know, federal taxes, then immediate disclosure to the public should be made when possible. You know, an immediate disclosure should be like, so I just want everyone to know there's this allegation in my organization, and I'm looking into it. And, I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I, we've protected the, the victim uh, and we have quarantined the perpetrator. We're, you know, in contact with the police. It, it just always boggles the mind that these very public organizations don't do that because it's like you look really guilty and really wrongheaded when two years, three years, 10, 20 years later, it comes out that you didn't tell anyone like the Catholic Church. It's like. Why not just say, you know, it's like it, no one thinks that every Catholic priest is, you know, flawless. You know, people understand humans. These are humans. They're just hum- priests aren't 
priests are no better than any other human being. They're just humans. So, and, you know, people think, I, I can't remember the exact statistics, but from my memory, you know, people have a general thought or belief that like Catholic priests are much more likely to sexually abuse children than, than other people. But from my memory on the stats, Catholic priests have the same rate of um, child molestation as the general population. The difference is, is they covered it up. So, so the protocol should involve, uh, you know, some kind of press release, you know, just like, look, this is what happened. I'm being open. I'm being transparent here. I'm looking into it. I don't know what's happening. I'd appreciate any help from the public. Please come forward with your stories, you know, da, 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 da. And, you know, it has to be done with some uh, thought because, you know, every allegation can't be blabbed in the press, you know. But but this patron brought voicemails to her boss and said, or to the congresswoman and said, listen to these voicemails that your chief of staff left on my phone. You know, it's like it, it, it's not a he said, she said thing. It's listen to what he said to me. He he threatened to kill me. You know, that should just be boom. He's fired. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing a press. Do you want me to fire him? Yes. Okay, he's fired, uh, and I'm going to do a press release tomorrow. You know, it, it, it just should have been that simple. Like, how do you take months to figure that out? Your chief of staff threatened to kill someone else on your staff. Uh, I think that's immediate dismissal, you know? No severance pay and no positive letter of recommendation. I, I, I don't know. Like, that's just me off the top of my head. And I'm not a congressperson, you know? So um, now, again, this congressperson, this congresswoman, she's not stupid. The problem is our society. You know, the, our society has set up a situation where the congresswoman is worrying like, well, if I come, if I come forward and say something, um, what is that going to do to the public? How are they going to react to this? It just... You know, everyone needs to do their part when they're given a chance, like this congresswoman should have done. But at the same time, the congresswoman lives in a culture in which um, there's a lot of weird stuff about this. And so she, she probably was affected by that as well. Not to give her an excuse, but. So we need to stop shaming sex in general. That's if, if I have one recommendation to everyone, if you know, if you want to do something for the Me Too movement, it's. Just try to have sex positivity. Try to have uh, a, a more open uh, view of sex in general. You know, like, um, you know, jokes about men who dress up as women or jokes about men with small penises or jokes about uh, women who have, you know, sex too much, you know. Uh, oh, she's a floozy. Oh, she's been around the block, boy. Oh, boy. You know, uh, these these kinds of jokes or attitudes or judgments are contributing to the overall societal conglomerate of sex shaming, or I don't even know what to call it, just like weird, childish views of sex, backward, old views of sex, Victorian you know, puritanical views of sex that lead to attitudes that lead to the need for a Me Too movement and the need for or the pressure that we put on victims to have to do something about every little thing that happens in our society. So now, how do we do this exactly? I don't know. This is a tough question. 
I, I talk about this a lot. I talk about how our society has this problem. And then I say, you know, general things like raise awareness, educate yourself. But really, it's like maybe I should just do a whole episode on like exactly what can we do? You know, what can you do in your regular life? Because that's always the key is like most of us are just, you know, surviving day to day. And it's like, what can we do? during our day to day? You know, it's, it's an interesting question that I, I'd like to explore. And if you have any ideas, let me know. Email me at contact at psychologyinseattle.com. That's contact at psychologyinseattle.com. All right. In conclusion, I just want to say to you, patron, that I'm so proud of you. You're a young woman uh, and you're a, you appear to be an Asian sister <laughs> and you were, you know, you endured this abuse by someone who was above you at your workplace and you decided to come forward. And from all accounts, you came forward in a graceful manner. You came forward in a respectable manner and you did something for our world. You did something for our society by doing this. The Democrat Congresswoman is resigning. You know, I, I don't know how happy I am about that, honestly, but, but at the very least you you came, you came forward and, uh, that was a brave thing. There's reasons why people don't come forward. As I, as I've said, there are very practical reasons, you know, you will, you likely will have some negative consequence to coming forward for the rest of your life. That's why the, and you knew that, and that's why you are brave. You know, you, you did it, but as you say, it it was liberating, you know, to, to do so you, um, it, it felt, let's see what it say. Um, uh, let's see. It was petrifying. You said it was surreal. It was re-traumatizing and it was liberating all at once. And it's, it's a wonderful thing that you did. And, I apologize on behalf of society that it, that it was petrifying. It should not have been petrifying to come forward. Society should have laws and systems and attitudes and procedures in place that would make you feel like not a problem. You know, if, if someone decided, if my boss shot me in the leg, I would not be afraid to come forward. I'd be like, my boss shot me in the leg and he needs to go to jail for the next 20 years. <laughs> you know, like I would, I, I would suspect uh, there would be not that much fear, you know, or at least even if there was fear, you know, that's society's fault. So, so I apologize, you know, on behalf of our stupid society that we, uh, we make victims afraid to report a crime. It's criminal that our society makes victims afraid to report a crime. It is criminal. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for listening. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. 